This is just part of normal ministry. This is what's happening around Jesus. Uh, there's nothing significant about the day in particular, just that Jesus was there and he was teaching the, the people who were around him. We're told from the context previous in chapters 4 and 5 that this is in Capernaum, that, that Jesus has been teaching around the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and there was a lot of cities that surrounded the sea. Why? Because a lot of people made their money and their, their livelihood off of the water by fishing or other uh, attached occupations. And so he's been teaching in these areas around the Sea of Galilee, north of Jerusalem and Judea. We're told that he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there while he was teaching. And I'm sure they were sitting there going, wow, we just can't wait to learn great things from Jesus. No, they're sitting there trying to catch him in something that they could confront him on. So imagine that. Imagine you're teaching a group of people, and around you are sitting people just waiting to see if you're going to say something that they can hatch on, latch onto and bring up and to challenge you on. But it says that they were sitting there and that these people had come from every village of Galilee, right? That's around the Sea of Galilee. Every village and Judea and from Jerusalem. That means people have come up from Jerusalem to around the Sea of Galilee and they're hearing Jesus teach. Normally you think the opposite would be true. They'd be leaving the Sea of Galilee and heading down to Jerusalem. No, there's people from Jerusalem and Judea who have come up to hear Jesus teach. It says at verse 18, uh, actually, at the end of verse 17, and the power of the Lord was with him. Who's him? Jesus, that's correct. With him to heal. So Jesus is demonstrating the power of God is on him. The spirit is at work in him because he's able to heal people. So healing wasn't just to go, Ooh, look what I can do. Healing was to demonstrate the power of God at work. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. All right, number one, what did we just find out? These guys, they're on a mission, right? And they tell us, Luke tells us specifically what they were after. They hear the stories that Jesus is healing people, so what do they think? Hey, wait, you remember, remember, let's give him a name, uh, Bob, 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 Bob's been a paralytic like his whole life. Uh, there's this guy, Jesus, who's able to heal people. Let's grab Bob and let's go take it. The mission is to bring the man who is on a bed paralyzed, and they wanted to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, right? So the mission of the men is to get the guy who can't walk on his own to Jesus, and then they're going to lay him down in front of him. All right, Jesus, do your Jesus thing. Right? Mission is crystal clear. Right? Does everybody see it? Not complicated. Jesus is the guy we need to get our friend to. We're going to make sure he gets there. They had a mission, which is important, right? Because for so many people, we are aiming at nothing. Especially as Christians, we just believe we're here to exist. Just exist and, and try, not to, try not to ruin anything. You know, try to live another day. We have, we have a very short-sighted mission. God's mission is to see people come to know him, to see people change, to see people saved. And so often, we as Christians aren't even participating in the mission. Could you imagine 
calling ourselves Christians and not being a part of what God says we're to do. That's not a good sign. But we as Christians are on a mission, and our mission is to bring people and to show them the beauty of Christ and to teach his word and to point them to his sufficient sacrifice on the cross. And so often we find ourselves not even participating, but sitting on the sidelines while others do it. But these men had a mission, and it drove them to act. I want you to see that as a Christian, you have a mission given to you by God to share Jesus with people who aren't currently worshiping him and urging them to trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Because when you got a mission like that that is clear and you know it and you see it, you will engage it. You will go. You, will, you won't be stopped. These men had a mission But I also want you to see they also had an eager expectation, right? They say, we're going to go, we're going to bring him, lay him before Jesus, and Jesus is going to act. These men believed that Jesus could heal their friend and that he would heal their friend if they just got him there. Do you see the expectation? There's only one person they're seeking after. It's Jesus, and they have an expectation that if they get their friend there, then Jesus will act. We will bring him in, lay him before Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe the mission, then you won't make it all the way there. You'll quit. If they thought Jesus might be able to heal their friend, but they weren't quite sure, They might be prone to give up. But because they know that Jesus heals people and they believe Jesus will heal their friend, they are motivated to keep going. Because there is an eager expectation that Jesus will do what they desire of him to do. But here's the problem. It doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to. Because I'm sure they had the expectation that they're just going to bring their friend, lay him down before Jesus, no problem, the friend will be healed, mission accomplished. But when they show up, they find out that that's not the case. In fact, when they show up, these men encountered an obstacle. What was the obstacle? Well, Luke doesn't give the details to it, but Mark does. When you read in the Gospel of Mark the same account of the paralytic, guess what Mark shares? Mark shares that when they get to the house that Jesus is in, that he's teaching, they find that the house is so filled with people that they actually can't get in the front door. Picture that scene. You've traveled who knows how far. Carrying Bob's, you know, carrying his carcass around, right? And you finally get all the way there. You're probably worn out. Probably encountered some problems on the road. And as you get close, you notice there's so many people in the house, you can't even get in. What was the mission? 
The mission was to bring him in, lay him before Jesus. But there's a problem. You can't get in to lay him before Jesus. But they expect that Jesus can heal him and would. So even though they encountered obstacles, which by the way, if you're living for Christ and you're trying to share Jesus with people, you will encounter a ton of obstacles. And if you're not convinced of the mission to share Jesus with others that they might trust in him, or if, or if you don't have an eager expectation that God can save those people who you're, bringing, who you're trying to bring to Jesus, then you will quit before you get to the end. When the obstacles come, we'll walk away. But notice, these men are not walking away. The obstacles are plenty. The mission is get him before Jesus and lay him down. They can't even get to Jesus. So what are they going to do? What happens when obstacles are encountered? You push through. You don't stop. Even in the midst of all those obstacles, they are convinced that Jesus can heal their friend and nothing is going to deter them from doing that. So I want you to imagine they have walked up on the house. They can't get in. We're not turning back because we're not carrying Bob all the way back again. This is not going to be a failed mission. We're going to get this accomplished one way or the other. And they start thinking. All right, now, because houses are designed a little differently back then than they were now, a lot of their homes in those days were just single-story, many times one-room houses. But, excuse me, but in order to have extra area to live, they would use their roofs because they had flat roof structures. And many times they would use it for food. They would use it as a place to sit outside because, just so you know, many times they had the animals in with them. And if you had the animals in your living room, you might need some fresh air every once in a while. And so they would have a place to sit. But in order to get up to the roof, they would have stairs that would go up the side of the house. So guess what these guys started thinking? They're carrying Bob. Right? Can't get in the front door. We ain't going back. Let's go up on the roof. So they walk up and carry their friend up the stairs onto the roof. Okay, now you're standing on the roof. Oh, no, no, what do we do? Well, just so you know, their roofs at the time were usually made of mud and straw compacted together. Well... You, 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 can, you can dig through that if you got to. So, I don't know how you determine where Jesus is in the house, but somehow they figure out, okay, he'd be about right here. And these four dudes start digging. Now, if you're on the roof, that's one thing. If you're in the house, that's another because if you're in a crowded home where no one can fit in, Jesus is in the middle or in the midst of them, and all of a sudden, stuff starts sprinkling down on you. And you just imagine these four guys 
digging away. Why? They had to get Bob to Jesus. They had to. They weren't stopping. He's getting in front of Jesus. This is going to happen. Why? Because we believe Jesus can heal our friend and we're not backing away until Jesus has seen him. So they're digging away. Can you imagine those four guys on the roof just digging away, digging a hole? Right? The whole time they're scurrying, they're digging out. And all of a sudden inside the house there's stuff falling. The roof is coming down on their heads. I imagine you have to stop teaching for a second when this is happening. You can't just act like it's not going on. Just, hey, let me keep on going. But everyone's taking notice of this. Okay, now you got a hole in the roof. All right, can anybody picture this scene? Because now that you got a hole in the roof, which by the way, the hole's got to be at least bob-sized, now you got to lower him through it. You got four guys. Can we say this was obstacles? That <laughs> you got to dig through a roof to get to Jesus? Can we say that? And they lower him on his mat. His four friends lower him through the roof and they plop him down in front of Jesus. Because they believed that their friend could be healed by Jesus and they weren't going to stop until they got their friend to him. I'm telling you, if we had half of that missional fervency, we'd have a lot more people around us who know Jesus right now. You know what I mean? Because we would actually spend time trying to share with them. These guys are dedicating themselves. And they are compelled by the fact that they want their friend to see Jesus. And they know Jesus can and would heal him. They drop him down in front. Okay, so now's the big moment, right? Now's the big, woohoo! Verse 20. So they lowered his bed down through the tiles, we're told in verse 19, into the midst before Jesus. So now there's a crowded home with a guy on a mat sitting in the middle of everybody. Verse 20, uh, verse 20. And when he, meaning Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, uh, Jesus, that's not what we were asking for. Right? They show up, get their friend before Jesus. Yay, that was the mission. Just plop him down in front of Jesus. Jesus will take care of and heal him. Right? Because Jesus always has to operate the way we want him to. So they plop him down. Okay, Jesus, do your Jesus thing. And Jesus says, as he sees the faith of the men who carried him there, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And all of a sudden, they start going, wait a second, that's not what we wanted. Uh, Jesus, you're not understanding the, uh, the request. But Jesus has an intention, right? Because he's emphasizing what really matters. We can be focused simply on external things that we miss the whole point. Verse 21, notice what happens when Jesus says this. And the scribes and the Pharisees, right, sitting around waiting to find something to nail him on, say, wait a second, who is this who speaks blasphemies? By the way, what's the punishment for blasphemy? Oh, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Guess what? They're right, but they're wrong. They're right in the fact that only God can forgive sin. They're wrong in believing that Jesus is not God. The scribes and the Pharisees were looking forward to questioning him and to finding something of fault they could bring before him. And they say, this guy is blaspheming. If there was ever something to nail Jesus on, this is it. And then Jesus does something else that should either scare us or make us truly delighted. It says in verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Jesus perceived their thoughts. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't like that Jesus. No, no, no. I like, I like, uh, like Jesus who loves me and cares for me and, and doesn't look at what I got in the back. I like Jesus who just, you know, hi, spends time with me when I need him, gives me stuff when I ask him. I like that Jesus. But how about the Jesus who perceives your thoughts? knows what you're thinking, and knows what your heart is. He says that to the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, why do you question in your hearts? And I imagine for them, they were kind of like, what, what, what? And then Jesus says this, verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier to say? Sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Which is easier? Say it again. Say it again. No. No. What's, okay, yeah, I want you to think through this. Think through it with me. By the way, I answered the same thing y'all did when I first studied this, okay? So don't, don't feel like you're, you're at a... Which is easier for Jesus to say in this moment? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Well, one of them you can verify, the other you can't. If you say your sins are forgiven, who's going to question you? Who can prove you wrong? That's easy to say, your sins are forgiven. Prove me wrong. But if you say rise and walk, if you don't get up and walk, then you're shown to be a, a fake. So Jesus says, Guess which one I'm going to say then? If it's harder to tell someone to rise and walk, look what he does. Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin, right? Because that's the easier of the two. If he can make someone walk who physically can't, then it demonstrates he has the ability to do the harder. The easier, sorry, my fault. See, even I got it wrong that time. I'm in this with you. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now we're going to figure out whether Jesus is who he says he is. Because if the man doesn't get up, Jesus is a liar. But if he does get up and walk, then Jesus can also say your sins are forgiven, and who's going to question him then? Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home. Glorifying God. So the whole point of the healing, now I'm sure Bob appreciated the healing, right? If you've been a paralytic, you appreciate the healing. But what Jesus is teaching everyone in the room is that what's more important than physical problems, 
What's more important is whether your sins are forgiven. And to show that Jesus had the ability to forgive sin, he healed the paralytic man to show that. So the healing wasn't the point. The healing proved that Jesus had the ability to forgive sin and thus prove he was God. You with me? See, they showed up asking for one thing. They didn't even know what they really needed. <laughs> Sometimes we don't even know what we really need. They thought they knew. We need our friend healed. But they were actually, unbeknownst to them, pursuing something far greater than they ever imagined, which was the forgiveness of sin before God. That's a huge deal. See, listen, we want people around us to be healed. We want to see people uh, cured of their illnesses. We want to see people no longer in financial hardship. We want to see people not having family problems anymore. We love all those things. We want those things to be true. But even if we cleared all those things up, it doesn't matter if they haven't been forgiven of their sin. Frank, you'll give me one. There you go, brother. I mean, just... If we clean up everyone's lives but they don't know Jesus, what have we done? Besides made people clean to go to hell. See, what we need is to be passionate about the mission that people not just, you know, that God doesn't just work in their lives externally, but we need to have a passion to see people actually saved. And forgiven of their sin. That's the mission that matters. And just so you know, many of the people we encounter every week, they are, they're after the wrong thing. They're, they're pursuing one thing without ever realizing that the key problem is they're sinners and they need to be forgiven. How do I know? That was me. In college, I didn't know I was a sinner. I thought I was a good guy. I was pursuing something And God had to show up, give me spiritual eyes to see, and I got more than what I bargained for. Because what I thought I was really after wasn't what mattered. I needed to be forgiven of my sin. And so many people you interact with every day, they don't even realize that that's the most desperate need they have. But if we believe it is, if we believe that's the ultimate mission is to tell people about Christ and to see them saved and to see them change, then we'll dig through roofs. We'll go wherever we have to. We'll do whatever is necessary to lay those people before Jesus. And this time, not just go, okay, now do your jesus -y thing, but to lay them before Jesus and saying, God, save them. We do that by praying for them. We do it by sharing the gospel with them. If we were that passionate, we'd dig through whatever we had to in order to get our friends and our families before Jesus. See, that's the mission we've been called to, and every person who's a Christian has been called to that. Sweet little ladies in the, in the church, God has called you to be just as active sharing the gospel as anyone else. Kids, you're called to be just as active sharing the gospel as anyone else. Everyone in between. Every Christian is on the same mission given by God to take Jesus to the ends of the earth 
that people might see their desperate need is not just physical healing, it's not just more money, it's not just a better job, it's not just a family. What they need more than anything is to be forgiven of their sin. And this picture tells us that. Now here's the thing, it's not for our own glory. It's not for our own credit. Right? Because when anyone gets saved, it's not because we did it, it's because God did it. And I get that from this story too. You know why I know? What were the names of the four guys who brought him? These dudes lugged Bob all the way there. Had to, had to walk the whole way carrying this guy. Had to go up the stairs. Had to dig through the roof. Had to lower him before Jesus. Had to do all that hard work. And the Bible doesn't even tell us what their names were. You know why? They're not the point. You know who the point is? The guy who they're dropping him in front of. See, listen, we don't do it for our own glory. We don't do it for our own credit. When people get saved, we're glad that God uses us to share the gospel and to bring people before Jesus. But when, when people get saved, it's because God saved them by his mighty hand. And oh, what a... Listen, there's no better mission in this world than to preach the good news of Jesus everywhere we go and to lead people to trust in him. There is no better mission, and it's worth all the obstacles. It's worth all the problems. It's worth all the pains. It's worth everyone telling you you're a weirdo. It's worth everything to know that you can, you can teach people the good news of Christ and see God rescue them as we pray that he would save their souls. But we have to be on this mission. God can save people however he wants, but guess how he does it? By the preaching of the gospel. And every Christian is a part of that mission. The whole reason we're doing Hoosier One is because it's an initiative to help people to see that this is not just the job of pastors, it's not just the job of deacons, it's not just the job of Sunday school teachers, that sharing the gospel with other people and urging them to trust in Jesus is the work of every single believer. And anyone in the room who hasn't been doing it, I want to say, don't worry about that. Just do it now. Right? If we're not under condemnation for what we haven't done. We live now with the purpose that we're going to actively, intentionally try to share Jesus with people who do not know him. And every person who's a Christian, is part of that mission. And I want you to be active in praying for them. I want you to think of that one person you know of who's not a Christian, and I want you to pray for them. And I want you to try everything you can to build a relationship with them. Take them out to lunch. Get your hair did. Do whatever. Go to the park. Whatever you got to do, build relationships with people. Go to the gym. Whatever you got to do, build relationships with people. And then share Jesus with them. Tell them how he's changed you, how he's rescued you from your sin. And I'm telling you, if we do that actively, not everyone will trust in him, but some will. And if everybody in this church who is a Christian was doing that, you can't tell me people wouldn't get saved. You can't tell me we wouldn't see the fruit of that. I believe we would. My goal as a pastor is to encourage you you have every ability to do exactly what we've talked about. You have the same spirit at work in you 
that is at work in every other Christian, that was at work in Paul, that was at work in every single apostle, you have that spirit within you to do exactly what we've talked about. So my goal is to help you do that. As you leave today, I'm going to encourage you to come up to the front. And one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to grab one of these. This is a 30-day prayer guide. I want you to be praying. And as you pray through these 30 days, you're going to be praying specifically for that one person you're thinking of who doesn't know Jesus. And if you don't know who that one person is, you need to pray for that first. Who's that one person? But I want you to grab one of these. For 30 days, I want you to pray. And they're simple, they're easy, they're quick. It doesn't take a long time, but I want you to pray through this. Whenever you have time, get alone with God and pray for that person. And then I want you to grab one of these. It's just simply a bookmark. And on that bookmark has every day what the, what the, what the biblical passage is that you're, you're reading. Right? So you'll be able to check them off just day 1 through 30. Actually, yeah, day 1 through 30. And it helps you to keep track, right? In case you can't carry this around, you can carry this somewhere. It also has a spot for you to write the name of the one person that you're praying for. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to write that down. Even if it's just a first name because you don't want to give out their full name, that's fine. This top section also has a place to write their name and it's perforated so you can tear it off. Next Sunday, when we come back together, I'm going to ask you to tear off that top part and I'm going to ask you to bring it up here and we're going to pray for whoever's name is on there. And we're going to do this pleading with God that he would save them. And as you're praying and as you're asking God to help you do it, we're going to celebrate together, right? Because we're going to celebrate the stories of who did you get to share with? Hey, I got to have lunch with the person I'm praying for. I got to share Jesus with them. Hey, the person I've been praying for and building a relationship with and sharing Jesus with, they trusted in Jesus finally. We're going to be celebrating every single one of those because we can be a part of the mission of God. We just have to be serious and intentional about it. So I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask every Christian to grab one and to pray your guts out that God would rescue them. Because I believe he will. I believe he'll act I believe he answers our prayers. And this is just a way for me to help you to do it and to encourage you to be busy about sharing Jesus with other people. But you can't do that if you're not a Christian. And if you're here this morning and you're trying to hopefully by your own efforts make God love you or, or make him accept you into heaven, I hate to break it to you, the Bible says that we can do nothing of our own hands to save ourselves. We can't do enough good deeds to make up for our sin. And God's not asking us to. He's simply asking us to admit that we're sinners who have rebelled against him and to come to Jesus asking for forgiveness. And the Bible says if we do that, God forgives his people. And maybe today what you need is not to pick up one of these. Maybe what you need to do today is trust in Jesus. To realize that Jesus' death on the cross was to pay the penalty for your sin. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead was to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for your sin. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus today. I'm going to encourage you to do that. After service is over, I'm happy to stick around after service and talk to you and share the gospel and tell you what it means to be a Christian. I'd encourage you to do that today. But Christians in the room, I want you to grab these and I want you to pray. For the next 30 days, let's pray that God would save people 
who we know for his glory and honor. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for your great grace and mercy towards us. And Father, I pray that as we seek to share Jesus with those who we love and those who we know, God, I pray that you will rescue people for your own glory. And Lord, I pray this morning that uh, if there's anyone in this room who's trying to earn their way to you, I pray, God, you would show them as clearly as possible that, God, they cannot earn salvation. God, that you don't ask them to. You simply call them to repent, to, to turn and trust in Jesus and to follow after him. And so, Father, this morning I pray that if there's anyone here who thought religious activity or going to church or giving money or being a part of a class, that that would save them. God, I pray that you would show them clearly that that cannot and will not save them. But, God, you're not asking them to do those things. You're calling on them just to trust that Jesus is sufficient. His death on the cross is enough to pay for all of our iniquity. That his resurrection from the grave proves that he is the king, the redeemer we've been waiting for. And Father, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. God, because at one point, every single one of us in this room was the paralytic. At one point, every single one of us needed to be brought to you. And God, I'm thankful for the people in my life who shared the gospel with me, who spent time with me and, and tried to teach me the word. And Father, I thank you that you used that to draw me to yourself and to rescue me. God, I pray that we would be just as passionate today to see other people saved that we know. And God, that we'd be willing to bust through whatever obstacles lie in front of us to see people come to know you. And so, Father, I pray you'll do it today. God, as we spend the next 30 days praying, Lord, I pray that you will save souls. The people we're thinking of that need you, God, rescue them, please, God, for your glory. And help us to trust you all the way that whatever you do is good. Oh God, use us as Christians today for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.